Hey, sorry to interrupt, but before we get going, this 3CR podcast has an important public service announcement. Currently, we're running our annual Radiothon, where we ask for your donations to keep community broadcasting alive. Your donation will make sure that the media stays in the hands of the community where it belongs. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate, and with that done, I hope you enjoy your show. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, our little look at the Australian film industry. And today we have, as uh, Joe pointed out, got a live guest. Hello. Hello, Gaynor. Hello, Annie. <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah, and uh, we've got to talk about your really interesting film, which is going to be shown at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. I just put a little plug in for the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. It's uh, going to be starting at uh, uh, the Nova and some some at the uh, Backlot. Uh, on the 19th to the 30th of July. And the film that you've got in the program is The Candidate. That's correct. Yes, big a big lot of words there, but The Candidate is uh, particularly interesting to people from around here uh, in Melbourne uh, because it's about the uh, uh, by-election, the Batman by-election, between Jed Carney and Alex uh, Bethnal. Uh, Batal. Batal, sorry, Batal. Now, um, tell us about how you got to – I mean, it was a neck-and-neck neck thing. And it was – and then given uh, – this is all before before what happened at the last federal election where people thought that uh, in actual fact that the Labor Party, if it uh, got its, uh, got its uh, mojo back – or if it ever had any, uh, that it might actually be able to uh, be a, um, a a fighting force for the working class and the other members of the uh, population other than the big end of town. And so, of course, Jed Carney, incredibly uh, um, useful kind of candidate for the Labor people. He, she's just got off the benches from the ACTU. Everybody loves Jed Carney. Nice, nice woman. Uh, been uh, head of the uh, nursing, um, uh, the AMNF. Uh, who couldn't not like a nurse? Uh, been um, the nice, sweet face of the ACTU as the president, and then she goes into politics. She gets what was a safe seat uh, for Labor. But, of course, over uh, five elections, uh, Alex Batal Batal for the Greens 
had been coming up from behind and her last attempt before this one that you're covering, uh, she got 49% of the uh, primary vote, which was incredibly impressive. How did you decide, how did you get to be able to follow her around leading up to this crucial election? I've known Alex for quite a long time because I live in the electorate, so it's Batman now known as Cooper, which is yeah, a much more say, appropriate name. <laughs> I know, exactly. I knew it had been changed. Yeah, because... From but, a yeah. murderous will yes, to, to somebody a important. A fabulous um, uh, <laughs> uh, historic uh, figure and Aboriginal activist from the area, so much more appropriate name. But look, I've known Alex for a long time. I know her socially, but also I've lived in the electorate for 25 years and you know, every time an election came along, her face was everywhere. So like many people in the electorate, you know, we all feel like we know her. So Alex had talked to me before about making a documentary about election campaign. A lot of my documentaries are about, uh, I've done two or three about political issues and I'm really fascinated about how politics works and how human beings survive in that environment. So uh, when... Because it's extremely hothouse, isn't it? it well, it, yes, it is. So when the uh, Batman by-election was called, uh, there was a really good chance that Alex was going to Canberra. So I thought, oh, it'd be amazing to follow the election. And then the original plan was if she wanted to follow her up to Canberra up to the point where she delivered her maiden speech because I thought uh, I also was really interested to see what it was like for a, a person to become a member of the federal parliament. What is that like? What's it like to deal with that and also to make your maiden speech? So that was the pitch that I took to the Greens and to Alex and they both agreed yes. Um, And so I negotiated almost on a day-to-day basis about what access I could have. Uh, The Greens uh, were incredibly helpful, but of course, uh, as you would expect from any political organisation, there were um, events and areas that were off limits, but they assisted me as much as possible um, to get the access that I needed. And then Alex also, uh, partly because I know her, um, allowed me access into her into her private life, into a house and that sort of thing. So that's how I got the access. I pitched the idea um, almost as soon as the by-election was called. Um, they all thought about it. They said, yes, I've got my own gear. I've got a camera with a microphone, basically. <laughs> and so I just... It was and so- you've also got experience. I do. I've done a lot of... I've been making documentaries since the early 1990s. This is the first one... I've done that's fully independent. Most of my work's been for has been commissioned by SBS or ABC, and the last one was commissioned by the Melbourne International Film Festival and the ZDF, which is a German public broadcaster. Right, so that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, and I noticed in your CV that, uh, in fact, you've directed quite a few uh, Australian uh, uh, serials. Yes, I started. Oh, yeah, episodes in series. Yes, yes. I've, I've actually directed. Uh, I started off as a uh, as a director at the ABC. They trained me up, and I worked on the news and current affairs, and then I worked on Countdown. How did they and train Arena. you up? Tell me. That's yeah, probably gone by the bay. That's basement. totally gone by the wayside. They used to have a. They ABC used to have amazing training programs. Yeah, so I was selected. Uh, I was the first intake of people who applied from outside the ABC. Yeah, and because you were trained at uh, Swinburne, right? Yeah, I went to Swinburne Film and TV School when it was at Swinburne. 
Swinburne when it yes. was Swinburne Institute of Technology in Hawthorne. Yeah. And uh, then I went straight from there pretty much to work with Crawford Productions. So I got trained up when Crawfords were producing Cop Shop and Sullivan's. Division and 4. Division 4. That was a bit post-Division 4, but they were a powerhouse of TV drama. Yeah, yeah, they were. So I got trained up as a continuity person. And that's where people got their training. It did. Uh, it really, of my generation, most people in the film industry got trained either at Crawford's or at the ABC because mm. both of them had formal training programs. Yeah. So so what did they actually do, the ABC? In you, Did you decide you were going to be a director from the start? Well, they asked for people to apply to be trained as producer directors and I knew at that stage I wanted to be a director. So I put in an application and I was successful, which was fantastic. So, What was, was there, the ratio men to women? Uh, they. I'm just trying to think. I think it was about... Two thirds men, a third women, but this yeah, was yeah. in 1984, so yeah, it, was yeah, a no, pretty, it, was, it was a pretty good uptake. I was the first woman to be a general, what they call pool director at the ABC in Melbourne. What does that mean? Uh, it meant that you were a director and they could put you on any show. So while I was there, I, like I said, I directed the news, current affairs, but I also directed Countdown and Rock Arena, and I was associate producer director on the first series of Degeneration. And then I did some TV drama while I was at the ABC and then I left and went freelance and that's where I started directing things like Neighbours and Home and Away and that sort of thing. So uh, I did that for a while and then I started making documentaries in the early 1990s and my... It's really fascinating because it usually it's the other way around. Mm. Yes, it probably is, but I'd always been interested in doco and I actually what I did was I... I I quit the ABC and a couple of friends were horrified. They said, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you've steady got a, pay. You've got a permanent position at the ABC. <laughs> you could be there for the rest of your life. And I said, yes, I know. That's why I have to, that's why I have to leave. Anyway, I, I sold everything and went to Nicaragua. Uh, as you do. As you do. Uh, when <laughs> I got there just as the Sandinistas lost power, of course. But, um, I, and that's where I got the idea for my first documentary, which was about human rights abuses in Guatemala. Yeah. And two associates from Melbourne, um, uh, came on board with me, and that that was my first doco. We we did that independently, and we managed to what get. What was that called? It was called Impunidad, mm. and um, I made it with. Uh, um, it, it, in the end, SBS came on board, and um, it ended up being screened on SBS. So uh, it was uh, Shane Higgs and, and um, Greg Smith were my two colleagues on that one, and uh, it was pretty wild and woolly, and, and that sort of started my doco career. So I'd use the the. Uh, freelance TV drama directing, which I loved, but I'd use that to finance the doco work because doco work doesn't pay that well. But uh, when I started making docos, it was actually a really, it was a one-off time in the history of Australian documentary. There was, it was called an accord. There was an agreement between the independent documentary sector and the public broadcasters, SBS and ABC, that they would commission a certain amount of hours every year of independent authored documentary. And so I started my documentary filmmaking at that time when the ABC and SBS were actually commissioning independent work. They're quite hostile to independent work now. So it was just a very amazing period. Isn't for that, that amazing? Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting too because I think personally that uh, since uh, the mainstream media, for example, have basically committed harikiri, that uh, lots of younger people and older people but uh, are really thirsty for documentaries, because people want news. People want some sort of evaluation of what's going on around them mm. and the experiences of other people other than themselves. Mm. 
Yes, and it's, I mean, yeah. good documentaries, it's, it's a window into the world, mm. uh, into parts of the world. That's what I love about it, and that's the sort of documentaries I try and make, which is to give you a window into a part of the world that you wouldn't otherwise be able to access. So um, all, all my work's kind of been like that. So I've made films about criminal defence barristers and nurses and, you know, just on, on the surface it's quite mundane. But when, when the ABC came to me to direct a series on nurses, for example, I thought, gosh, we all know nurses, but we don't know what they actually do. No, that's exactly. And also the uh, actually quite traumatic lives that they lead potentially. Yes, yes. And so, what do they do about it? Yeah, and, and all of that. So, so I think documentaries... And also their place in the system. Mm. How the system supports or doesn't support, yep, yeah, and what and the unrealistic and illegitimate demands that are placed on them as professionals. Mm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. My daughter's a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I know about this. I know. Well, I don't. Think and mental it's... health is in is probably in the worst category. It yes, would appear to me. Yeah, yeah. One of the nurses I followed, who I actually is still a good friend of mine, uh, Trish Bulick, was. Um, uh, an outreach mental health uh, um, yeah. nurse, and um, you know, she was just saying to me the other day that that outreach service uh, doesn't exist anymore, for example. So, so that that's how I got involved in documentary. And um, uh, but the candidates, the first one I've done, where it's totally self-funded in that um, I put quite a bit of my own funds into it, but also some incredibly generous Melburnians oh, have, I know. have donated. I, in fact, have, I knew some of the people on that uh, list. Well, I just can't thank them enough. They've just been amazing. So that just gave me the... Um, the support I needed to keep going to make it. And it's actually been, you know, it's been a really interesting project to work on. Yeah, yeah. I just remind listeners, you're on 3CR, it's Showreel. And uh, we're talking to uh, filmmaker, director uh, Helen Gaynor about her film, The Candidate. And it's going to be showing at uh, the, uh, it's a world premiere, it says here, at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and it's going to be on the 28th of July at the Cinema Nova at 11am. And it's really fascinating for us, this particular film, because it's about our local uh, political scene, in fact. Um, I don't know why I have such difficulty saying Alex's surname, but I do. Um, so you'll just have to uh, put up with it. Uh, but uh, Alex, uh, she uh, every time, every time she was talked about in the mainstream media it was something like fifth time the fifth time that she's uh, gone for this election and all these underlying disparaging messages which gives the and the fact that uh, the uh, uh, um, bullying claims that uh, uh, appeared in the mainstream media in the Australian uh, in particular and followed up by the age uh, had a um, ongoing uh, mantra about it which were, was a, a, like an advertising campaign, in fact. You must have found it really fascinating to uh, spend time with a candidate as she went through this rocky road of uh, being dismissed by uh, people through what were turned out to be false allegations. Yes, look, it was really interesting because, as I said, the, the, the idea of doing the documentary was because, as you said, in 2016, she only lost on preferences to the, the Labor incumbent, David Feeney. So there was a very good chance that she could get over the line this time. I mean, obviously, Labor woke up to the fact that they couldn't 
keep parachuting in middle-aged white Anglo blokes as a reward for, you know, for... for it was no longer a safe seat. It was, and, and the Greens uh, and Alex and the Darabin uh, branch members had worked really hard over five elections to get it to that point. Like, That's it right. was quite extraordinary. So, um, you know, that that I was hoping to follow her up to Canberra and I started filming with that in, in fact, mind. It would have been quite extraordinary if she had got that with... Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, first preferences because mm. uh, having the sort of system we have, um, it, it, it's interesting that uh, allegations of bullying should have come at the time it did because it, she would have been probably one of the only people in Australian politics who would have won that seat with uh, primary vote. Uh, because uh, generally speaking, deals are made, preference deals are made, and the and the Labor Party, I'll have to say, has made an art of, and this has been for at least a decade, has made an art of uh, dissing the Greens because they obviously see the Greens as being their primary uh, uh, foes. Yes, but can I say actually, um, first of all, uh, Labor. Uh, finally woke up and realised they needed a progressive woman to go head-to-head with Alex. So Jed Carney was a great choice. But um, I think Jed Carney and her office, to their credit, did not engage with the... That particular... They, they didn't engage with the whole Alex is a bully sort of stuff. They And my, what I heard was they made a deliberate decision not to engage with that because it was so disturbing. And when you saw the two of them actually... Uh, debating policies and stuff, it was so fantastic because it was not personal. They didn't slag off at each other. It was an incredibly respectful campaign on both uh, on both sides and um, it was actually a breath of fresh air. It was like this is what poli- politics could be. It was a contest of ideas. So um, that was quite heartening to see that the Labor Party didn't decide to, you know, go, go for broke on the bullying claims and... Um, uh, just and I think that that came out of uh, Jed Carney's office that particular decision, but it was difficult as a filmmaker because it was you know this kind of it, it was a total curveball that was thrown in in the middle of it, and of course I know Alex personally, so I could see the pain and distress. So the ethical decision as a filmmaker is, you know, do I record this pain and distress? And then of course. Um, uh, you know, I support progressive politics, so it was like, oh, it was kind of like uh, watching it all go up in flames. And, and But I thought, no, well, the mantra with this sort of documentary filmmaking, which is observational, you're trying to capture, uh, you know, events that you have no control over, so you just try and be in the right place at the right time um, and, rem- you know, remember to take the lens cap off. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's like get the material first and then you can work out the, those sorts of issues later. So I just filmed as much as I possibly could. Now, interestingly enough, you started off, as you said, you, you, in it, this is observational, but you had a framework, you had some sort of idea. Mm. So can you explain a little bit around your uh, script notions, your framework? Well, the framework was that I'd follow Alex, then hopefully she'd win the election and I'd follow her up to Canberra. It's as simple as that. As simple as that. And mm. and the idea was the story arc was would, would have been ending with her making her maiden speech. Yep. When you're doing observational documentaries, you always have some idea of what you expect. Based on, res- on your research, what you think is likely to happen. And then the challenge did, t- did you have two potential? I mean, there were she either won or she didn't win. Well, look, the thing was, if she the the thing that's 
interesting is if she hadn't won mm. but there hadn't been the mudslinging campaign, I, I, I wouldn't have had a documentary because it would have been really boring. There wouldn't have been enough in the story to make a doc- documentary that was worth viewing. So, uh, But because of the, uh, the Dirty Tricks campaign against her, um, all those the leaks to the Australian, uh, that replaced the story of her actually going on to win in a sense yeah, yeah. Once, once she lost you know I went through all the material and thought have I got a story that's what you're always asking in observational documentaries what's the story have I got a story and when I went through it I worked with this fantastic editor Ian White uh, and we just scoured through it and we thought yes we have got a story and well it- most, most of it a lot of the stuff and the, let's look at the film itself uh, a lot it, it's really a story about Alex the story is Alex yes um, which is fascinating, and um, and I noticed that in the beginning part, very economically, you develop her backstory, which I found incredibly impressive. That was such a uh, an eye opener about her actual personal history and her family's history, which I think uh, makes going to see the film in, in, in worthwhile on every level. Yeah, and look that that. Part, that story part came in quite late, but we realised that, in fact, to understand Alex and mm. what drove her, because we kept going back to that, um, you needed to know her story. It's an unusual story. you know. It's mm. just, it's, I, I'm wondering if it's as unusual as it, as it seems, because you've got the mainstream mantra around uh, people's lives, but Australia has got a huge amount of people who have come from other places. You know they, you know they're second generation or third generation. I mean, I'm at least seven generation, but that means nothing. Um, I mean, you know, you talk to an Aboriginal person, of course, it it's, it does mean nothing. But in terms of modern Australian history, uh, it's fascinating to recall that the mainstream view of who the majority of Australians is is actually not true. Mm. Yeah, and that that development of her her personal story actually points that out. Yeah, look, I think the other thing with her personal story too is you know gr- growing up in a family where her her father is um, Sikh uh, and her mother is Anglo Aussie. I mean, I she Alex is a similar age to me. I was young in the nineteen sixties. I remember what the nineteen sixties mm. are, and I actually feel like that's where we're going back to at the moment, so which I. is so depressing. But um, but. Uh, I, so I really understand the pressures that she would have been under as a Sikh Anglo Aussie girl going to she you know she was brought up in nice white middle class Australia as I was and anyone who wasn't Anglo was an object of that you were different and so she she grew up always knowing that she was different. My kids when they saw that archive material about the discussion mm. on should we keep the white Australia policy or not were they could, They were horrified, and I yeah. said, "Yes, that's your history." You know, yeah, as you know, that's the, the archive history. footage, is and it's saying, not very old. It's no, that was that was I think the nineteen seventies when people yeah. saying, "No, we shouldn't let Asians in," and then you've got the woman saying, "No, well, they're, they're, you know, the coloured people come in, and then they want to intermarry, and it's too hard on the children." That's not very old, and but of course, anyone who was born after Gough Whitlam doesn't know that that's our history, but I know that's our history. I grew up with it. So that's why I realised it was so important to tell that about Alex and that drives her sense of justice, 
her sense of uh, standing up for people who are vulnerable uh, and for people who are not part of the mainstream, you know, Anglo uh, um, sort of power base in Australia. It really does drive her sense of social justice. Also, why being accused of bullying was such a uh, uh, unconscionable thing to do. Yes, and look, what do you say when someone says you're a bully? As she says, yeah. in the uh, it's like that. Uh, when did you stop beating your wife? Yes. It's yeah. It's like all you can say is, "Well, I'm not," and they say, "Well, you are," and then you say, "You're not," and that's yeah. like they've already framed the question. They've already framed the question, and then as as you, you could see, you know, a lot of her posters were defaced with bully stickers and that sort of stuff. So, very oh, actually, they were they were quite professionally defaced. <laughs> they were actually there was an industrial actually, effort. They, they, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Which was. says something about it, indeed. And we're coming to the end of the program, but I just, this is a real people will find this a very fascinating film. Um, I find you a fascinating person, so there you go. The film itself is uh, pretty extraordinary and it's great that it's uh, going to be uh, have its world premiere at uh, the Melbourne International Documentary Film Festival. Um, it's uh, This is about the third or fourth year of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and it's grown exponentially. It's nice that you're going to be shown at uh, the NOVA um, it's at 11am on the 28th of July. So if you want to know more about what's on, and it's a, there's a, a amazing array of films that are on. Um, I mean, The Candidate, we recommend you go and see The Candidate, of course. And uh, I've just recently got to see a film called uh, The Ghost of Peter Sellers, which is a really fascinating film from the point of view of uh, the director, Peter um, Maddock, uh, it's absolutely fascinating film. So you can see that there's this huge scope of films that are being shown, and they're going. It's going to be shown from uh, the 19th of July to the 30th of July. It's going to be at the Nova, and it's also going to be at Backlock. And if you want to know more about these this program, you should go to mdff.org.au. Now that's. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, but it's the beginning letters. You must be very exciting, excited about this uh, being shown on the big screen. I am because it's been a real labour of love, and I think look, I think it's a great testimony to Alex. She's had a very difficult time. I'm proud of the work. It's the sort of thing I like to do. It gets into the heart and soul of the person behind the role. Yeah, it uh, does. In this case. So it's not a political story so much as a personal story about someone who's in politics. And in the end, I think it's a hopeful story because despite all that happened to Alex, um, she's very she still believes very strongly in our in our democratic system and that good people need to be involved. So it's I think it's an unusual take on politics. So I'd love people to come and have a look at it. And also, uh, you know, I've had so many fantastic people who donated supporting me. So I really hope that uh, they're happy with the outcome and uh, that they all get along to look at it as well. Thanks very much, Helen. Thank you, Annie. And uh, that's it for uh, the program today. Uh, Coming up next is Published or Not. One, two, three...
Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? Here at 3CR, we're a community radio station, and you're part of that. Right now is Radiothon, when we ask our community to pitch in with a few dollars that can help keep media in the hands of our community. This year, we need to raise $250,000 to keep the station on air. Any amount that you can afford makes a big difference. And it's really easy to donate. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your support is greatly appreciated and helps us power radical podcasts for yet another year. Thanks, as always, for listening.